inappropriate Earl. SoundCloud and iTunes. And if I sound out of breath, it's because I am. I'm a one-man unit. I have no red band. I have no producer. I'm a soldier in the podcast world. Currently number two. And for those of you asking, have I hacked into iTunes? I have not. This weekend, iTunes got rid of every podcast that was, let's just say, manipulating the charts. And Daddy is still in the charts. So you haters are going to have to find another angle to come at me on. Yesterday, Barry Katz, comedy manager. Today is one of the reasons I do this podcast. Like I said, I like to consider myself the junior version of Joe Rogan in every capacity. And today I have someone on my podcast who I've known for like 15 years, but I don't know. And I want to expose her to the world of the Earl fans, the inappropriate Earl fans. Put your hands together. And I'm going to warn you guys right now. She's a hot babe. So no inappropriate messages. Become a fan of her comedy, her podcast. But I'm watching you guys. So it's a whole new era for some of you. Felicia Michaels. Well, hello, Earl. That's a long intro. I apologize. No, I uh, I, I thought it was super adorable the way you shuffled from your Instagram on your computer here or your iPad and then went to, and turned everything on. It was very adorable. Well, it's tough to be a one-man soldier. Yeah, yeah, well, you did it quite quite nicely in your own Don Knotts kind of way. <laughs> I often identify with Mr. Roper. <laughs> Although I like the first Mr. Roper. Norman Fell. Right. He was an awesome Mr. Roper. And I'm sure podcast listens are dropping like a rock right now talking about Mr. Roper. <laughs> but I believe we met, I want to say the Canoga Bowl. Oh, I bet. Wow. Which was, for those of you going, what the hell is that? It's a bowling alley where there was a comedy show, I think, on Tuesday nights. That's right. That Didn't Dante run that? The legendary L.A. Uh, comedy personality, I'll call him, uh, Dante, uh, ran several rooms of... Uh, they were comedy rooms, but they were in very bizarre places. Like, yeah. Uh, a biker bar in Lawndale. Uh, you know, but I think his most infamous one was the Canoga Bowl. Right. And, uh, his promotional methods were uh, interesting, to say the least. Right. I uh, have very warm memories of the Canoga Bowl because that's the first place I performed when I got back into comedy. He's like, come on out and do a set there. And I was, because I took like nine years off and I was terrified because it's the Canoga Bowl. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you hear, you know, pens crashing into each other. Right. It, the, the stage was in a pit. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It was a weird little room. So it wasn't, uh, some might say it wasn't conducive to comedy. Yeah. And I got, in a, I almost got in a fight there. Why? 
Well, I was, uh, so I, I had gone a couple of times. I was starting to get back into the swing of things. And you know how they had that like back room behind the bar? Yes. Yeah. And all the comics, because you could close it. I think there might've been a pool table in there. I don't remember clearly, but it's where all the comics used to go and smoke cigarettes and stuff and bullshit. And you know, like when, uh, you're at a, uh, when you're hanging out with comedians and you're, you're at a table all together, there's always, I'm not going to name names, but there's always. Do it. No, no, because it's funnier if I don't name names. I'll name it at the end. But there's, uh, <laughs> but we're all good now. And uh, but there's always like one motherfucker that just wants to run the table when you're around comics, right? There's always the head guy, right? And so uh, this comic was sitting there and he was like uh, giving a lecture on comedy and he was like, you know, Carlin, who who the fuck was Carlin? And then he was like, you know, Lenny Bruce, blah, 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 Mitch Hedberg. But when he went to Lenny Bruce, he's like, who, who the hell is Lenny Bruce? I, I call anyone's, you know, taste if they think Lenny Bruce was the greatest. And so I had been smoking a cigarette. I don't, I don't smoke a lot, but I was sitting there and then I go, well, now, since you said the Lenny Bruce thing, I'm just going to call some bullshit. You know what I mean? And he got really mad and he like stood up and he's like, you fucking whore. And I had that cigarette in my hand and I threw the cigarette at him. And I'm like, really, dude, you come at me the first time and say whore. That's something you come out the third time you call someone a whore. You know what I mean? And then he got really angry and comics kind of had to hold him back. And then Dante dragged me out. And I have to tell you, I look upon that story with a lot of warmth because I was like, I am fucking back. You know what I yeah. mean? And it, and it reminded me of how comedy used to be. Like comedy today is so tame, like how the comics hang out. Like I came in a time when it was, that's how it was. You know what I mean? It was really rough and tumble. Oh, yeah. I think today's... Uh I often point to, you know, Roast Battle, which is a very popular show on right. Tuesday nights at the stores. You know, it's a, uh, I guess, a, the ultimate ball-busting show. And, hey, you're fat, you're, you're a whore, you're, you're right. a fag. Or, uh, but I don't think Roast Battle comics could survive. Uh, oh, fuck no. You know, you had guys <laughs> like Chris Neff who would just, like, get in your face and uh, oh you want to talk shit well let's go right. fight outside um so i think it was uh more aggressive and hardcore back in like i guess that would be like the late 90s early 2000s no i'm talking this oh well that was that i mean was the canoga yeah, bowl yeah era. yeah yeah and by the way it was chris neff <laughs> oh. oh my well but uh, here's the thing i will uh and now i think the world of chris neff and the thing is he wrote me an email and he you know because he just thought i was some awkwardly aged chick out of the blue giving him shit you know what i mean it doesn't excuse it but he was like oh i didn't realize you were a comic before and i shouldn't have behaved that way and blah 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 and just because he did that i was like it's all good it's all good because but i i because i enjoyed it i mean you know well, Chris yeah. is like reminds me of that investigative reporter on Channel Two, who's just ultra David Goldstein. He's just ultra aggressive when he's on these undercover, uh, hidden camera type right. situations. Right. And like, I think Chris at that point thrived on uh, stirring the pot. Yes, he liked to stir the pot. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, and and by the way, I do think the world of him now. But uh, you know, that was a fun night at the Canoga Bowl. But it made you. Uh, 
it made us grow as comics. If you could do well oh, yeah. in a bowling alley and <laughs> I think at one point rerun from what's happening was the host. Oh, really? Yeah. And uh, I mean, Dante would get these weird celebrities involved and I, I felt so bad for rerun because here's a big TV star. Right. And now he's hosting basically an open mic. I don't feel bad when I see people in a situation like that because they're still doing it. You know what I mean? To me, it's like uh, Argus. Argus. Legend. Has fire in his belly still. You know how rare that is? I mean. And writes. Yeah. Constantly. Yeah. It's like it's he is a true legend in all oh. sense of the the word. and And just to see him on a Saturday night go up with all the young guns and he don't give a fuck. You know what I mean? And he just does his thing. He's got his like probably four pages of jokes and you know, he's trying out new material. Yeah. Yeah. He just doesn't give a fuck. Yeah. And I love it. And I think people forget how big he was. You know, I think he had, I don't know if it was the most, but a lot of Tonight Show appearances. He like, had a ton of Tonight Show appearances. back when there was no Comedy Central, Netflix. I mean, you right. had to be good to get on yeah. the Tonight yeah. Show multiple yeah. times. So, yeah. And his talk show now, he does uh, a... Uh, oh, yeah. I guest hosted it yesterday. I, he does a comedy store tonight. And uh, last week he had on Yakov Shmirnov. And it was really fun to see them play around, you know, and uh, uh, it, they do it in the basement of the comedy store. And so it's like Fernwood tonight. <laughs> oh, I think it's, it's hilarious. I think it's so and so much fun. And I was so petrified. And uh, but I enjoyed it. I had Kurt Metzger and uh, Kate Quigley on. So it was fun. But I, mean, uh, I love that he's still going at it, man. He's just such a care. I think there's something to that show because uh -huh. like the I don't know if he does it on purpose, but like. He called me Eric Skankle. And he's like, you're from Beverly Hills, right, Earl? I'm like, oh, actually, Bel Air. And like, you went to Beverly High. I was like, actually, Notre Dame High. It's like, who's doing his research? Right. And then right. he called uh, like Alicia Cooper, uh, Alex Hooper. <laughs> Alex Hooper. <laughs> and uh, you're from, uh, you know, Manhattan Beach, right? Uh, no, the Valley. Like, it was just, yeah. but it was funny. Like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's the kind of thing I could see being successful. You um, never know. You never know. I mean, I've given up trying to figure out what executives find funny, what makes it, what doesn't right. make it. Um, yeah. Now we talk about promoting. Like you've, you, you know, I just had an Instagram model on, million followers uh -huh. on Instagram, and she makes money at it. Yeah. And like you were in Playboy. Is Back it hard to day. be taken seriously as a comic once people find that out? No, because uh, uh, now I don't look like I can suck a dick all that good. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, I, I don't <laughs> you know, know about I that. Mean, we're going to be honest about it. No, you know, when I did it uh, back in the day, I did it, I think it was in 91. And uh, uh, it was, I had an amazing time doing it. And uh, it, what were you... Like, how did that happen? Were you a model or? No, I did. Uh, I was, I have been a comedian. Uh, I was made a regular at the comedy store in 86. And uh, so I was or 85. I was 21 or 22 years old. And uh, 
So I'd been doing comedy literally since I was 19. I think I first did at 19. And uh, uh, I won Star Search. And I and it was a miracle that I'd won because I was an old school comedy store comic. I didn't have a lot of clean material. And that was in an era where you got dinged if you were dirty, especially as a woman, because there weren't that many women. And so for me, and it was so, I had so, such few clean jokes. I actually had comedians coming up and be like, you might want to borrow my joke that I do about blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and then there was a part of me that was like, yeah, I should totally do it. Cause it was like a hundred thousand dollars. And that was a lot of money. Still is. It still is, you know? And, uh, but then I was like, fuck the rash of shit that I would get. Cause I already got such a big rash of shit from everybody. So then I, uh, uh, did my own jokes and miraculously won. And then, and then I just, they came to me with an offer and I was just like, you know, as a kid, I grew up, you know, I learned how to read off Playboy magazines because my dad had a box of them like in the closet with that and true detective magazines. You know what I mean? That's how I learned how to read. So for me, I was just like, fuck yeah. And also I'd been a stripper when I was 18. So it was also like, then I don't have to, I don't have to worry because it was in a time where if you had a sex, uh, uh, a past where it involves any kind of sex work, goodbye. You know what I mean? That was not going to fly. And so for me doing the playboy was just like, I just want that off my back. And I just want that because it was, I did it when I, I think it was 29 when I did it or 28, 29 when I did it. And it was, and it, it was a grand experience experiment i'm just shedding my skin like right. you know what now i'm just going to work on who i am and not the shell you know what i mean but after you did it did you have trouble being taken seriously as a comic because i know like in today's world you know and i don't think she would mind me bringing her name up but like kate quigley gets a uh -huh. lot of shit yeah she gets a lot of shit and uh, I did get a lot of shit, but I was also working 35 weeks a year on the road. So I got, I didn't get so much shit at the comedy store. I got, really? Some, yeah. I got some from, no, because you know, the comedy store, once you're in, you're fucking in, like you're, I one, love it. you're one of the bro bros, you know what I mean? Like, even if you're a girl and the, the people that I got the most grief from at the comedy store was actually, uh, the handful of other women comics that were there. And I actually was talking to Kate about this when I did uh, Argus's show about, you know, there were two women in particular that were very hostile towards me, not to where uh, that I would have to complain, but you just knew they weren't, they did not have time for me. You know what I mean? And, uh, and they would say mean things behind my back and there were people like that. But then uh, when I got back into comedy uh, and I started writing more and blogging and all that kind of stuff. One of those women actually kind of ran up to me in a grocery store and was like, I just want to say, I really love that you're back doing comedy and I love your writing and I had no idea and blah, 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 blah. And I said to her, you know, when we were at the comedy store, you were really mean to me. And she was like, I'm so sorry. And had and that wasn't about you. That was about my own crazy bullshit. You know what right. I mean? That I, my own insecurities. And, and, uh, and so that's what I told Kate. It's like, you know, we're all growing, you know, and, uh, it's not correct that people treat her that way at all. I don't think that's correct at all, you know? And, but, but, as we were talking a tiny bit about it earlier, I also feel like where's the danger in it now? 
you know, well, yeah. because part of doing the Playboy thing and part of the stripping thing for me was like, you know, I am had nothing. I grew up on welfare uh, with handicapped mother. So I had no choice, but to be, a, I had nothing in the middle of the country, nothing. And so to me, it was like, if, if, if you've made my life where I have nothing, then fuck everybody. And I'm going to do, I'm going to break this shit down how I want to break it down. So there was a dangerous component to it. You know, it's like, you know, smoking pot legally, like, yeah, I'm high. But part of the cool thing about pot was going and getting that fucking weed. And hopefully the guy has it. And I'm hanging out with my friends and spray the spray. Like now you don't give a fuck. You know what I mean? And so to me, it's like it, why shouldn't she, she use her her best assets? And she has so many assets, A, being funny, and B, great businesswoman, and C, balls of fire. But why shouldn't she also use the asset that she has? If football players can make a lot of money and pull them up by the physical assets that they have, why shouldn't a woman use her physical assets? I, I break it down to that. But as a woman who's now awkwardly aged, there is a part of me that is like, but then I'm like, you know, that's bullshit, Felicia, because that's what you did, too. Yeah, but you're still like hot. Like, please. I mean, I'm not trying to be creepy. (laughs) No, I know. I know. But uh, but uh, no, it's just it's a complicated feeling as a woman, especially when you've uh, already been through that phase yourself. You know what I mean? Like, it's like if you're a woman that uh, has a young baby and you're an older woman whose kid, you're just want to get the fuck out of the house and you see how the young baby is being treated by the mother and the young mother, then you're like, that's not correct. But then you get to this point where you're like, ah, fuck it, man. You ain't going to kill that baby. Do what you got to do. You know what I mean? And that's how I feel about, about her, you know? But I mean, in our business, it is kind of an ageist business. Like, yeah. Oh, absolutely. And especially so for women first. But it's interesting when it starts happening to men, you know. Oh, I've seen yeah. it. Like, oh, yeah. I had an agent maybe a month or two ago say, dude, I love you. You'd be, and this is at a big agency, like one of the big three lettered ones. Uh-huh. I won't. I mean, there's only two of them, so maybe I should just be quiet. But uh, he's like, dude, I could sign you right now. You'd be the funniest guy on our roster. And they have big names. Uh-huh. But you're 50. You got maybe 10 years. Right. And I, I kind of get what he was saying. But it's like, well, then make money off me for 10 years. Like, Right. You're thinking 10 years ahead? Uh, well, yeah, that's, you know, so, yeah. But it, it happens, to, I guess I guess it happens to both sexes. Well, circling back to Argus, that's why fucking Argus is a legend. And also Vicky Barbalak, who was on America's Killing Got it. Talent, fucking, I can't follow her. I couldn't follow her 10, 15 years ago. Just a monster act. And it's, you know, I get why they're saying the age thing. But then on the other hand, fuck it. You know what I mean? I mean, to me, funny's funny. Like, yeah, you're 60 yeah. or you're 20. Like, yeah, yeah. But I don't, I just think Hollywood, especially now in the YouTube era and Vine, I know Vine's not happening, but Periscope. Right. Well, like, look at Joey Diaz. Yeah. I mean, look I'm not sure Joey how Diaz. old he is. I'll guess in the early 50s. I think he's 54, 53, 54. And he's just peaking. Yeah, yeah. Rogan. Even though yes. he's been successful for a long time, right? I'd say he's still climbing. Like, 
I was just having a conversation hiking today up by Griffith Park and how people not even in comedy were like, fucking Joe Rogan. And I'm like, yeah, professional Joe Rogan. Yeah, I mean, it's... You know, uh, he bangs it. He's, he's like, good at everything. Yeah. <laughs> like, I've never... Like, he's good at... He's a master of jujitsu and karate. Uh-huh. Like, he's a master in the podcast world. His comedy's... Yeah. Uh, he's, he's great at that. He's like, can you be shitty at something? Right. I wish I was just that organized. Well, yeah. That, and his discipline, his, his yeah, mental exactly. discipline yeah. is just... Uh, he's his podcast is the only one I really listen to because it motivates me. Like, oh, I I should do another episode today, like right? This. And uh, you know, he's just uh, he should be a role model. Absolutely, and you know what I like about Joe Rogan is uh, he'll do a he'll uh, do a pre- premise that uh, he'll start something out, and you're like, oh, that's kind of been beat to death. And then the he can go about a topic that you think, oh, I wouldn't even write anything about that because that's beat to death. And then he'll go about it in such uh, an original, backwards, inside out kind of way, where you're like, "Fuck! Why do I? Why do I not look yeah. at everything that way?" You know what I mean? It's it is motivating. Uh, yeah, it's yeah, like wow. He's, a, I, he's really awesome. You know, he's just and he's very positive, and I love how he helps other comics. Yeah, exactly. Like, he doesn't have to. Yeah, and, exactly. Like he's made probably ten people stars. I agree. Like Joey. Yeah, one hundred percent. Hinchcliffe. Yeah. Uh, Duncan. Yeah. Ari. Uh, Segura and his wife Christina. Right. Uh, yeah. Well, he gave the hand up, but those guys also ran with it too. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, you definitely have to. People. Yeah. This has been one or two people who, you know, maybe didn't get the rub, but they didn't take advantage of it. Mm-hmm. You know. So, but I think Joe's like self-made, like he's been given nothing. And like, so in that sense, I think it's even if you're older, you can still make it. Right. I agree. You know, because you can, you have a podcast. I have a podcast at the comedy store, the Liars Club and uh, with Jessica Wellington, whom you had on. She's the uh, best. A couple of, she is so fucking awesome. She makes me laugh all the time. She's an awesome chick. And, uh, and so it's going pretty good and we're, you know, explain it because I've done an episode and I loved it. Like, well, the liars club is we invite two uh, comedians on and it can be uh, any one that's ever been a comic in any kind of sense. And we ask them to tell two stories each. One is the truth and one is a lie. And then we have to figure out which is which. (laughs) And sometimes they can get pretty crazy. So it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, I think it engages the viewer to listen. Yeah, yeah. Which, you know, some podcasts don't. Yeah. Kinda... Well, and it gets people to tell standalone stories and it's just not me- meandering. So it's a, so then you have these standalone stories that are just hilarious, especially when they're the lies where you're just like, what? Yeah. Well, I, yeah. you know, and you can get a good bit out of it. Like, you know, the, the gangbang story I told, uh-huh. I was like, oh, that's a pretty funny story. Like if you piece it together. Yeah. You know, in the right way. And yeah. I don't think gangbangs are uh, uh, grounded into the, uh, I don't think it's a topic that's been beat to the death too much. I was thinking about the episode that when you came on and you told the gangbang story and I was like, as I was editing, I was like, is it like, is it wrong to put a gangbang story out in the world? In this world. In this world, this whole Me Too movement. 
and then and then I was like, oh, it's totally fine because that chick consented. Oh, 100 percent. 100 percent. You know, uh, I mean, but that's the number one question I get when I tell that story, either on this podcast or, you know, like other podcasts like mm -hmm. yours is like, uh, did you guys drug her? I'm like, I'm, <laughs> uh, but you know, no, we did not. Yeah. So, but you're right though. Some I mean, chicks are down. Some you know, it's not just chicks. Some people are down, you know what I mean? For, uh, experimenting anyhow they want to experiment some people have a huge sexual drives and for some people it means a lot of things you know that was this girl i yeah. mean i've never met a, a girl with a sex drive for multiple partners like this yeah uh but you know we lost touch <laughs> and probably in this uh environment it's it's better we lost touch uh, <laughs> But like you've gone on auditions before for commercials, uh -huh, films. Uh -huh. Have you had, you don't have to name names obviously, but like I would imagine you've gotten me too or attempted. Why? Uh, well, I, the, what I was thinking the other day is uh, I came into comedy as a stripper. So as a young woman, as a stripper and a comedian, uh, it was safer for me than to go to an Ivy League school. <laughs> you know what I mean? And uh, and that's mostly been my experience. I, two years ago, was sexually assaulted in a club. And uh, uh, it wasn't like, you know, a huge thing, but it, it rattled me because I'm no spring chicken. And it's like, fuck, really? At this point in life, still? You know, still? Well, I mean, comedy clubs are... Uh... Yeah. Uh, and it happened in front of the wait staff, and it was these two young women servers, and they ran away petrified. And, and it's like... Uh, it. The thing about it was I had more empathy for how their react, because they were such young women, like 22-year-old chicks, that they had to witness that. Then for my, then for my own uh, issue with it, even though it rattled me because... I don't want them to have to deal with that. It's, you know, I don't know. When people do that kind of stuff, they don't, it's not just the the person they're doing it to that. And I hate the word victim because it's weird to me in a lot of ways, but it's also how it affects like Louie, how it affected uh, the men in his life too. You know, that even if they didn't do the right thing uh, by, by, uh, making him come to terms that he had a problem or however you want to talk about it, but it affected them too. Like it doesn't just affect one person. It affects everyone around you and, and you know, everybody else, his kids, his ex-wife, his girlfriend at the time, I'm, you know, I'm supposing, you know, the agents and managers that are like, Oh fuck. And were we a part of it? You know, it affects everybody. When you do it, when you behave in a way where everyone has to start, uh, lying uh, about things and correcting things it's fucked up you know or, you know i mean it's tough i hate to go off on a thing like that no but that's you know as you can tell i don't plan any questions uh but it's a fascinating subject like you know it's i mean if he did what is described i think he's a fucking pig right i mean you know i, I you know I I guess sometimes I go, why did those two girls, and it's not blaming, mm -hmm. 
you know, uh, them, I mean, no means no and, and under any circumstance, but why would you go up to his hotel room? And- well, let me ask you this. You as a comic, when you go on the road, right? Mm-hmm. And you're hanging out, let's say you're hanging out with Jessica, right? Let's say you're in a car and you're driving to some gig or you're at a festival and the only other comic you know is Jessica and you guys are just hanging out and then you guys do late sets. Where is there to hang out in each other's hotel rooms? So let's say you're with Jessica or you're with a friend of yours. Let's say you're with Ari Shafir. <laughs> do you have, do you have an issue of going to Ari Shafir's room? Do you work? You know what I mean? Like that's as comics, that's how we hang out. Oh you know? no, I know. And, and, but I just, you know, like I, when I was me too, I gave the guy a second chance when he figured I should say attempted because nothing happened. Uh-huh. And then I thought, I'll give the guy a second chance. So let's do lunch. He's like, at my house. So it's got to be in the daytime. And I went over there. So I put myself in a position for a possible uh, second attempt. And sure enough, that's what happened. Uh-huh. So, you know, I'll partially blame myself on that one. For even, I look back now and go, what was I thinking going over there? Right, right. So. But those girls, that was only the first time. Oh, yeah. I'm not like, you know, once, you know, I just like the girls who went up to Harvey Weinstein's uh, hotel at 10 p.m. Like, I'm not blaming anyone. That shit goes deep, though. You know, like if you're uh, an actress and and the king of all that is good says come up to the hotel room and then what about if i have such compli- this is interesting oh it's I tough have, i'm not blaming yeah, no 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 i have victims. just no no and i know that i i understand that 100% but i think it just goes so deep a like there after that whole Harvey Weinstein thing happened, <clears throat> there were people that were like, what about the women that didn't ever say anything and that got gigs? What about <laughs> those women? You know what? I, I have no problem if you're a chick that can throw it because you just want to enjoy throwing it and you get a gig. I'm not mad at you. You hey, know, it's, I wouldn't be able to do it, but I'm not mad at you. God bless, man. Oh, you know, I don't hate Everyone's on... different, you know, but I also think a lot of, people can be naive and there's a lot of pressure and there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's gets a lot of pressures from your agents and pressure from this. And then you think, Oh, if I'm on a movie set with that guy and I've been in and out of his trailer, what's the big deal? I go to his hotel room because on movie sets, you're always in each other's hotel rooms anyway, hanging out just like comics hang out. So yeah, it's all, it's all crazy right now. It's such a predatory business and it's always been, Yes. And it will always be like. Well, any business I think is predatory. But I think, well, yeah, anytime you're a man or a woman. Right. uh, I mean, I don't know if it happens a lot with women trying to bone young actors. I'm sure it does. I'm sure, yeah. Uh, And I wish I would be part of that. Uh, (laughs) Sherry Lansing, head of Paramount, ever, you know, needs a quick one. I'm I'm here. (laughs) I'm here for it. I mean, I don't know what I would do if. If a hot, if Sherry Lansing, who's I think uh-huh. the head of uh, Columbia Pictures, if she uh-huh. said, "Hey, Earl, <laughs> it's time to uh, you know, right, talk about your career." By the way, if you were ever in the same room as her, I bet she is sexy as fuck because 
power. Oh, sure. You know what I mean? She's probably interesting and has great stories and knows how to sell the room. Like, you know, I bet I'm, I'm just saying. I mean, I'm not saying I would do it, but I, I, you know, I don't have a problem with women who sleep with, uh, casting directors or executives. I, yeah. I, or I'm men, a, like, you know, you know, whatever it takes. This is a tough business to make it in. Yeah. Well, I, any business, any business. But, but I think, uh, you know, the entertain in comedy, I think, is its own subculture from Hollywood. Yeah. I mean, you've got club owners who are in power over you, right. bookers, uh, you know, headliners, if you want to open for someone big. On, I mean, it's like there's so many people who are above you that it's like, who do I fuck? I know. <laughs> Please, somebody I know. tell me. If someone could just make a list. <laughs> yeah, just like, who books this show? Who books that show? Uh, but I don't hate on people who do that. No, I don't care. To get gigs. Enjoy life, man. Uh, but, you know, did Mitzi encourage you to use your looks or sexiness the only i'd have to say absolutely not at all i mean uh uh back in the day when i was made a regular i had was uh there's this comic named alan stevens do you know alan stevens i know uh, i met him at the canoga bowl i think he was oh, judging really? right uh dante's yeah. contest well he used to he used to be one of the guys that would hang around kinnison and Carl LeBove, and that was at that time. That's who run, ran the comedy store. You know, was king of the hill at the comedy store at that I love time. Carl. Carl's awesome. Carl's so fucking funny, dude. And uh, and so I. It was right before Kinnison took off, and uh, Alan Stevens uh, uh, was actually one of the first comics I ever met. And we kind of started hanging out a little bit. And well, you uh, mean dating? I mean, I'm not. I don't want to like. No, no, no. Yeah, we. Like when you we, say hanging out, we. Did, we never dated, but we hung, hung out. out for like a week or two or uh, whatever. And uh, let that uh, enter into your thoughts, guys. Right. How you will. Right. But uh, <laughs> I remember one time when uh, we, okay, we were kind of hanging out, but it was on the down low. But, but for sure, uh, I think Alan said, I think Mitzi likes this because she'll think I'll be less bitter and you'll get funnier. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, but I remember one time he called me and right when Kennison was doing really well. And, uh, and he's like, uh, Kennison has a gig in Vancouver and we're going to, you know, rent a couple of vans and drive up to Vancouver. You want to go? And I was like, why would I give away my two main room spots to get in a van with you coked out motherfuckers going over the fucking mountains, you know, and an international border? Sure enough, they went over and they got popped uh, for drugs in the van. I think Sam ran away or something like that. Some crazy story happened. And by the way, Alan is one of my oldest friends right now. I call him grumpy grandma and that's what my kids call him too. And, uh, but so, no, I, I would not say that she booked the comedy store in Vegas at the time at the old dunes hotel. And she had very specific ideas when you work the dunes. And if you work the dunes once, a uh, for me, if I worked the dunes once every other month, that was my nut for two months. Like, and I got it every other month. I got my gig at the dunes and, uh, and so she had very specific ideas, like you have to wear a dress, it has to be red, but it was never anything like, you know, sexual at all about, right. you know, about trying to, to turn that up. 
I, I she was probably hoping I'd turn it the fuck down. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I mean, yeah, it was such a different era back then where, you know, yeah, it was an awesome time, dude. You know, sex did. I mean, sex will always sell. But, yeah. But uh, how did you come about picking the comedy st- store to, to like, did you have a game plan when you came out here? Like, I want to be a paid regular there. I had no clue. I was, had been, I did Colorado uh, in, I did comedy in Colorado was first where I started kind of doing it. And I had met a bunch of people that were doing comedy in Colorado at the time. And one of those people was Roseanne Barr. And so I was 19 years old when I met Roseanne Barr and I came out to LA with the idea that I was going to be a comic. And I, uh, I was stripping in Colorado Springs at the time. And then I met a comic in a strip club. Of course. And, uh, <laughs> now it's just, uh, we don't have to get too graphic here. Is it like topless full nude? No, it was topless. Okay. It was topless and it was called the peppermint lounge. And, uh, and <laughs> they, and they used to do this totally fucking true dude. They used to do wet t-shirt Tuesdays. And so you could go and you could win like $500 and that, and, that was in 1983 or something like that. Uh, and that was like $1,500. Cause a dollar was worth three times what it's worth nowadays. Right. So that was a lot of fucking money. And so I went and did it. And on the first night that I did that, I met a comedian and then he asked me out and, uh, and then he took me to the comedy works in Denver had just opened. And then I saw some chick that bombed and I was like pretty drunk. And I was like, Oh, I could do that. You know, all drunkies. And he was like, you fucking, you can't, it's harder than you think. And then we made, he dared me. We made a bet and then I did it. And, uh, and then I stayed there about three months. And then I was like, fuck it, man, you only live once. So I came out to LA. I had some money saved up. And when I came out to LA, uh, I, w- I meandered for about a year, kind of really not doing comedy. I was stripping down at the airport. Jet strip? At the jet strip. I mean, I've heard yes. of it. Yes. <laughs> the jet strip. That's exactly where. But that's full nude, right? The jet strip is full nude. Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, it's been a while. So I, I don't. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. I used to go to strip clubs a lot with right. my friends. Dude, that was a gesture, but it was in the. Uh, it was in a different location. It was totally jet strip, and there used to be this DJ named Buzz, and and you had to have like your uh, uh, songs on old forty fives. Like that's fucking how long ago it was. And then I was stripping down at the uh, jet strip, and I started doing open mics here and there. And then uh, uh, I did a lot. There used to be a place in the valley that I uh, used to do all the time. And uh, Bob's classy lady. No, it wasn't that it was oh. experiment rhino. Oh no, no, not stripping. I didn't. Uh, oh, I thought oh, I I'd stripped once. I think experiment rhino. Like, I don't even know if that was the name of it way back in the, I think it had a different name and, but doing comedy. Oh, okay. Damn it. And then, uh, and then, uh, I was starting to, you know, hang out at the comedy store and that was all before I even turned 21 because I went to do, uh, standing out on Monday nights, try to get, you know, on a potluck and, um, I wasn't able to get in the club cause I wasn't 21 and they were let guys who are underage in, but because I, you know, was a girl, they just were like, get the fuck out of here. Literally the door guys were like, get the fuck out. And then I just kind of did it for a few months. And then, uh, Roseanne came to Los Angeles 
and she stayed at my house. And then she got, cause she had uh, worked a lot in Colorado. So she got a, a, an audition for Mitzi. And then, uh, so on a Monday night, she got passed by Mitzi and Monday nights were huge. And then Mitzi put her on in the main room immediately. And, and she got the tonight show. Like that's how fast her life changed. Yeah. Overnight. And overnight. Overnight. And then, uh, I started hanging out here and then I turned 21 and started hanging out at the comedy store here and there a little bit. And then I was made a regular on my first audition. And what, like, cause Mitzi could be, uh, I never auditioned for her, but, uh, her stories are legendary about mm -hmm. her critiques uh, when you're showcasing, uh, right. do, you, do you remember what she told you? Uh, she, uh, uh, I didn't even talk to her really. I said, thank you. And, uh, uh, but I will tell you this, the night I showcased, I ate the biggest fucking turd on stage. Let me tell you, I bombed so fucking bad. It, it was terrible. And only one person laughed their ass off, and that was Mitzi Shore. That's all that mattered. <laughs> That's all that mattered. <laughs> and then, uh, and then she put me in Vegas. Like a few months later, I was not ready to play Vegas. That was kind of ridiculous. And uh, and I bombed in Vegas. And then she said uh, she had me go into one of the rooms uh, backstage, and she said, uh, "I'm not going to do her voice, but she was like, you know, I'm going to send you home." And uh, this is not your fault. This was my mistake because I sent you here before you were ready. And I don't want you to worry. You're still going to get spots. And, uh, and so that was just, it almost brings a tear to my eye to think about the kindness that she extended to me. But when you say you bombed, like some people bomb and they did great, but they have such high standards. You know, did you? No, no. Trust me. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> I, I mean, look, when she sent you to Vegas, uh -huh. how much material would you say you had? Probably seven minutes. <laughs> and how much time were you doing? 15? Probably eight. <laughs> it was not good. And that doesn't sound like a lot of time to people. Like, yeah. You know, but seven minutes on yeah. stage, if you're bombing. Shit. And you're 21 years old and everybody on the show has 25 years on you on, on stage. It's a pressure cooker. And you're yeah. hot. Not to bring it back to your looks, but I, I can imagine that must have made it a little harder given the, the misogynistic it, time. Well, I, you know, it, I, it was just uh, a weirdness, you know, like, cause there wasn't a lot of women doing it that time, especially a lot of women, uh, you know, like myself doing it. I mean, I'm trying to think of the women in that, I, I guess, Rita Rudner. Yeah, but she was already well-established. Uh, yeah. Jenny Jones, I guess. Jenny Jones. Kind of. No, that was, that was kind of when she, a little bit like, because she was on Star Search, and I think she got recognized off that or something. I don't remember. And Rhonda Shear. Rhonda Shear was in my group. I'm really digging. I'm Rhonda. Trying to go. Yeah. But Rhonda she used Shear. like her, uh, not bimbo, I don't want to say bimbo, but she kind of played up a bimbo-y character. Right. And she wasn't really a stand-up per se. She did it, but it wasn't, it wasn't, she wasn't, it wasn't to her core. You right. know what I mean? She's was, uh, you know, just a hot chick that, had a great fucking business sense. I'll tell you that. You oh know? yeah. Yeah. Her, great uh, business sense. Kind of like Elvira who yeah. wasn't a comic. Yeah. But she was pretty funny. 
Yeah, Elvira, yeah. But, but she, that was way before my time. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah, not yeah, trying to yeah. age you in, into the Elvira. Right. Uh, <laughs> but did, I mean, because the 80s, that time frame, I would say the big acts were like Kennison and Dice, who, you know, some might say were misogynistic. Oh, then, absolutely. Yeah. And then the girls. The girls was like Carol Leifer, you know, but she was an improv chick, like, and, and writer already. Uh, the girls at the comedy store was like Kathy Ladman. Right. The, oddly, yeah. Uh, and um, Carrie Snow, I don't know if you know that. She eventually became a writer. And uh, there was a girl named Tamayo Atsuko who was Kinison's girlfriend, wild lady. And uh, now she lives in Hawaii. And if you mention comedy to her, she'll probably start shaking. But <laughs> she well, was. I mean, a, her, her a name wild is chick, in the yes. neon. In oh, the yes. OR. Oh, yeah. Which yeah. I don't think most people, you know, most people don't even think it's a big deal to get the name on the wall. Like, well, what's yeah. the big deal? But it's like, it's yeah. a big deal. Yeah. But to get your name yeah. in the inner of the OR in lights, that's like. Mitzi loved her. Yeah. I mean, and so other women, there was like a, there was a woman that did, her name was Louise Duarte. And she did a comedy impressions with, uh, and she, when, I don't know, uh, we're about the same age, but remember a show like, uh, Sigmund and the Sea Monsters by H and R, uh, HR Puff and Stuff. And it was the same makers that did H and R Puff and Stuff. Oh and then they did, uh, the, it was the Croft, was it the Croft? Sid and Marty Sid Croft. Sid and Marty Croft. Damn. And she, and this is when I was a little girl and they used to have this show called uh, the Croft Family Hour and Louise Duarte. You probably, if you saw it, you'd be like, I totally remember that show. But Louise Duarte, this woman that was at the comedy store, she was actually played like witchy poo or what, so, like played a witch on it. Oh. And so she had been around for a long time and she was one of Mitzi's uh, go-tos, but she was more of an, uh, did impressions. Right. Yeah. And then uh, there's this chick named Janice Hart who just was all energy, but there weren't a lot of women. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, now that there's, more There's a lot now but still like i i know a, a lot of complaints about comedy lineups not at the store is where the women I'd say well it's you know it's probably 80 percent of the people doing comedy are men well the I mean, comedy store has really uh reached out to a lot of women in the past couple of years which i'm glad to see and a lot of clubs have but there was a long period of time where a lot of the showcase clubs did not and and not so long ago and uh, I have a couple of like old lineups that I had saved because Mitzi used to do them out, write them out by hand and she would hang them up. And there was uh, a time when, when Mitzi Shore was in charge of everything and, it, and it, like in the eighties that there were more women going on than there were three years ago. But now everything has turned a corner in a lot of ways and there are a lot of, a lot more women on, which I'm absolutely happy to see. Yeah. I mean, I think Whitney and Eliza oh, yeah. kind of, you know, set the uh, the standard of hey, women can be funny too in this era. You know, yes, uh, exactly. Amy Schumer and yeah, uh, you know, the many uh, Michelle Wolf and, and uh, so it's. I think it's getting better. Uh huh. You know, I mean, I feel bad for bookers in any era, just because. I mean, there's always someone who. Why aren't I getting three spots? Well, you're getting two. Right, I know, and that's a lot. And then you get three that's spots. A lot. I know yeah. one particular comic. I won't say names, but they get 
three to four spots a week and they complain still. Really? At yeah. the store? Yeah. Are you serious? Oh, I'm 100% serious. Yeah. And it's like, dude. Yeah, shut up. Yeah. I mean, yeah, shut up. You know, there's a hundred comics who probably deserve a spot tonight. Yeah, You and absolutely. I are lucky enough to be on tonight's lineup. Yes, thankfully. But there's legit probably a hundred comics who are on TV, funny. There's 12 spots to give out. Well, last week was my first comedy store's uh, regular paid spot. I do in the belly room quite a bit and on produce shows. But, and that meant so much to me. Because, you killed. Uh, thank you. That meant a lot to me. Uh, I, and I, it was at 1245 and I called up Joey Diaz and I was like, Joey, I got a 1245. And he's like, you're going to kill it and you're going to work your way down to 1145. And I was like, yeah. And to get there and you're hanging out waiting to go on and it got so late, but to see they're like, th including yourself, three or four guys just hanging out, just wanting to jump on even oh, after sure. the last guy on, that's at one, because it's such a privilege to get oh. a spot, even one. Oh, I mean... You know, it's, I'd still walk by my name on the wall and get chills at every single time. It never has gotten yeah. old one spot a week or yeah. whatever I get is like, it's the number one club in the country. It definitely is. And the thing that I had this experience last week or, and this happens sometimes when you're walking around and it's like, you know, in the hallway, that big photo of Roseanne, yeah. I was there that night that photo was taken. So like to me, when I'm walking around and I see everyone's picture, I see all my friends, yeah. like even those who have passed on or those who I started out with and then dropped out or, you know, those who gave me great advice. And to me, it's, it's an, it's like a museum, you know, when you walk in there with all those headshots and to have all those memories, you know? Oh, I get sad. You know, it's just by chance, Ralphie Mae's picture is right where you have to walk up to go in the OR. And yeah. Just... Now imagine a hundred Ralphie's. Oh, I, I mean... You know what I mean? That you had these personal stories, and as you do, because you've been there for such a long oh, time yourself. There. I'm like Yoda there. <laughs> but it's still like, you know, it's such a... It's like getting your name on the Stanley Cup. It's like... Yeah, it is. It's there forever. Yeah, Until hopefully. that, you know, building... Uh, I, I mean, hopefully that... You know, I'm sure the Andaz Hotel looks at that spacing that would make a great parking lot. yeah for sure for sure so hopefully uh you know the story's there for many it's never been better i mean yeah i mean you since you were there in the kennison era like everyone says like that era will never be duplicated but i mean it's pretty close right now isn't it i mean in, in a different way in a different way it is as far as a uh, stature uh, because there's, everyone has become such big stars, you know, like, uh, like Joey and Rogan and all those guys and, uh, everyone that they have, you know, came along with that and Whitney and Eliza and now all the, you know, Mark, who was like, I, I remember Mark when Mark was a door guy and had to go away. You know what I mean? Like, I remember all of that. And, uh, so it's, uh, it's, it's, it is like that, but you know, like it is a weird thing to go into the comedy store for me and smell food. Right. 
That well, that is weird to me. Not sure if it's food. Well, but just that's weird to me because uh, that is to me an, a thing that's only been there for 15 years. You know, before that w- there was never ever food, or to go in the back where everyone you know uh, hangs out. Yeah. And to see like the patio lights stringing beautifully across the thing, and there's these cushions and benches and you know tables for your drinks. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, I turned to Joey and I'm all like. God, remember when we had to stand up and do our drugs? You know what I mean? Like, so, the, you know, to see uh, how things have changed uh, hardly at all, but have changed in a major way is, it's so cool. Oh, it's like, I, I often, it's hard to describe it to n- people who haven't been there yet, but it's, it's like a comedy club meets the bar in Star Wars. Like there's just yeah, yes, yes. so many characters there. Yeah. And, and there's people who I see up there every night. They don't do comedy. They have no interest in being a comic. They just like being around us. Yeah, I know. That's funny. How about Don Barris? Oh, he's the Don king. Don Barris has been there since uh, the beginning of time, man. And only Don, I think, could close out the show every night. Because by the time Don goes on, it's... You mentioned going on at 1245. Uh-huh. Don probably went on close to one thirty that night. Yeah. And the crowd who's left at one thirty, you know, most nights they're not, you know, they're tired. <laughs> They've been there for a long right. time. And Don gets them every time. Yeah. And uh, so I think that's the great thing about the stores. No matter if it's the first comic, you know, uh-huh. someone like uh, Bobby Lee or who's ever on to Don Barris. I mean, sure, not everyone's for everyone, but there's not a bad comic on the lineup. Right. And to to yesterday, because I hosted Argus's thing, last week when I had the uh, spot, I didn't feel brave enough to drive into the back uh, because the, the most humiliating thing, I think, in the comedy world is to pull into the parking lot of the comedy store and have a pissed off door guy go, you can't park here. And then, and then you want to try to argue your way into the park, you know, so I right. didn't even bother with it. And then yesterday when I uh, guest hosted on Argus's thing, I... Uh, I drove in like, fuck yeah. 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 It's like the red carpet. Yeah. All right. Now, this is where we cut the Instagram feed off. Okay. Oh, actually, we're not on Instagram. We're on Facebook. Sorry. Okay. I can't keep up with this shit. That's okay. Where can people find you? We're going to talk for a few more minutes. Uh-huh. Uh, but then you got, you got to go to iTunes. Sorry, guys. Listen to the rest. Felicia Michaels is the best. Where can people find you? You can follow me all across the board on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Felicia Michaels. I also have a website at FeliciaMichaels.net. And uh, my dates are usually on that. And I'm pretty good at uh, posting all over Twitter and Facebook and Instagram my dates. So become fans of hers. We're going to talk for a few more minutes because I'm going to ask you a question. This is what they call in the business a teaser. Okay. And I'm going to try and end it as soon as you start the answer. You mentioned that you had took a, was it a nine year break from stand up? Uh-huh. Why did you do that? <laughs> Why did you take that break? I've thought of doing that several times okay. <laughs> because this is a tough business. Yeah. Yeah. And I, uh, cause I've known several people who once they take that break, they never come back. Oh yeah. Because coming back is the most terrifying thing on the planet. Coming back the second time coming back was scarier than doing comedy the first time. 
because you understood what you were in for. You know what I mean? And uh, the reason that I uh, quit comedy was I, at that time, was doing 35 weeks a year on the road. And uh, I had just gotten married. And it was right when the alternative comedy scene was really starting to take hold. And a lot of the comedy store comics fell out of favor. And even though I was younger and at the same age as everybody that was doing the alternative scene, because I got a lift up by becoming a regular at the comedy store at such a young age, I kind of got lumped in with the old guys of the old school of, you know what I mean? Set up punch, set up punch. And the alternative scene was so different. And, and so I got, and there were a lot of friends that I had at the same time felt excluded from the alternative comedy scene. And so a lot of people got really angry and quit. And for myself, I just got really disheartened by it uh, uh, because I was working 35 weeks a year on the road and I was getting, making really awesome money, but uh, I kind of didn't have respect when I would come home. I was living in LA and then I moved to New York and it got better when I moved to New York. And when I moved to New York is when I, started to understand that I wanted to do more than just comedy. And I started to have a very big interest in photography and filmmaking. And so uh, then I started, I did a, like went to NYU for film courses and I took photography classes and then I really doubled down and I started photographing a lot of comedians as an art project. And Is that the stand-up stripped down? Yeah, a comics eye stand-up stripped down. And, uh, and then I was learning how to use my camera effectively and shooting film. Obviously, it was in the day that you sh a person shot film. And then I started making short films. And then I just was like, why am I killing myself on the road 35 weeks a year when I'm not, I don't feel respected. It started to feel icky. I started to feel like I was walking through it. And I just started to get really fucking angry. And, uh, and so, uh, I had a kid and I was still working a lot. And then I had a second kid and I was I, I like a month after my second kid, I was still doing TV spots. And then 9-11 happened and I just thought, I don't I don't want to be on a plane anymore. I don't want to. I have kids now. I'm kind of, I'm really going all out on the photography thing. I made a short film that uh, won a big prize and I was, a couple of them gotten into festivals. So I was just like, I just can't do it anymore. You know what I mean? Like I really want to experience my life because the reality is this, if you're just doing stand up and that's all you're doing and you're not living your life in a, a healthy way for you and you can define that however you want to define it uh you're going to eventually fuck up because you have to live your life in order to report on your life and i just really got to this point where i was like i need to now live my life it's been a you know like 15 years of banging the road and i just need to grow as a person now and put that to the side well i mean i don't think people realize so i mean the journey song uh faithfully i think really hits what it's like being on the road just it's a grind it's planes buses not the comics i mean unless you're like ralphie may you don't 
right the biggest of the big you you don't get a tour bus but like still it's a it's hard on your body oh yeah, yeah. i mean you're in new york and then the next day you're in california you have to audition and you're tired from the jet lag or yeah. you're in canada yeah. and you know it, it's i had no desire to be a road comic ever and, yeah and some when, do yeah some do and everyone has a different path and and i will say this uh Working the road and consistently will make you sharp as a tack that you can't achieve when you're just doing sets in town. It's a different challenge. It's not a better thing if you can do it. It's not less. It's just different, you know. And now it's a lot different because people travel together. And those days, people didn't travel together so much. Yeah. So it was, it was very solitary. Which is like the quiet of a hotel room after you're set, it's like, I can see why people turn to drugs on the road yeah. or whatever. Yeah. I turn to energy drinks, but like, <laughs> you know, cause you want that, you get the high of the crowd and then you're in a hotel room in Idaho and it's like, you're watching the local news. Yeah. Just reporting on, you know, some guy getting fucked by a horse. Yeah. Yeah. But I also saw a lot uh, in fact, I uh, I just submitted this big packet, a uh, writing packet uh, and submission form uh, for photographers and filmmakers. And uh, when I was working there, what I got, it really opened my eyes to how people all over this country are really living. And I was working in Hilton Head, South Carolina, and I was, I think it was like at a coconuts or something. And, uh, and the club owner was like, Hey, there's this NAACP march. And I got this, uh, really cool old 69 convertible. It says coconuts on the side of it. And why don't, why don't you, you can sit in the back and I'll drive it around the NAACP march and you can wave and we'll get people to the show like that. And I was like, no, no, I'm not going to do that. Uh, but then we ended up just going and hanging out and watching the NAACP march. And then uh, the KKK came out and it, oh, cool. and it got really like uh, heated. And, and I had, that's when I had the epiphany of like, I love comedy and uh, it'll always be a part of my life, but I, I really want to explore other things that doesn't involve comedy. And so that's when I picked up the camera and I started photographing. How is the technological advances in cameras and filmmaking? Do you like? I watched the movie Predator, which came out in nineteen eighty-seven, uh -huh. and I loved it. Like, yeah, it's got a graininess right. to the film. Uh, and I saw the remake uh, recently, which was horrific. And it was weird because it was the same writer. So uh -huh. like, but it was just like it, the picture was almost too clear. Like. It, oh yeah do you like the advance it's like in cell phones some people love the advances some people would rather have a flip phone well it's all uh it's uh it's like the flip of a coin it's still the coin right you know what i mean so in on one sense I felt like it took me a long time to really master my camera because you have to get the film developed and then you have to do, you know, and then you have to pick, you know, it was a big thing. Uh, so gear didn't cost as much, but you spent as much on getting things processed and going through that situation. It took a while for digital cameras to catch up. And uh, the reality is 
you're not spending as much on getting things developed, but you're spending more money on a camera and you're spent and you're spending more time, uh, on your computer, uh, sussing out the pictures, you know? So it's, like I said, it's the same coin. It's just opposite sides, uh, of, of the whole, uh, thing. And, uh, I'm, I feel very lucky that I've, gotten to photograph comedians for like 25 years. And now when I look back at my pictures, it's a weird thing. Cause I have this picture of Louie, like back in the day and he is fucking killing it on stage. And, and it's in the audience. You can see like, weirdly, there's just like 10 women and the women are literally wiping the tears away from the, their eyes they are laughing so hard. And now when I look at that picture, all I see is what he threw away. It's crazy how, like, I mean, you'd think if there was, uh, like, in the 80s, there was Twitter or TMZ. Oh, yeah, comedy stand-up would be over. (laughs) I mean, just even when I started in the the late 90s, there was situations i was like i think i'm gonna leave the room Uh, i don't know if this is legal Uh, (laughs) this is i mean how old is this girl uh and how old are you more importantly uh i i mean i you know roseanne's tweet one tweet right done yeah Uh, you know even in the non-comedy world and the jared from subway on uh, the appearances of him just being a nerd a local boy done good weight loss now he's a millionaire and oh look at his hard drive right right yeah i know right like if i if, the, if that was going on in the 80s i mean you'd have one comedy club in the country yeah, yeah. with open spots so you know and, and football player i mean at me too movement and, and the athletic world and the eight and the music world i'm surprised it really hasn't hit the music world like Right. I know. I thought that that would get hit super hard. You I know? mean, uh, I know Netflix is doing a movie about Motley Crue. And it's like, how are you going to do that movie in this era? Yeah. They were like fucking underage girls. Like, I was just telling someone that the other day, they used to have this show that they filmed at the Laugh Factory called Comic Strip Live. And it was, this is like in the early 90s, I want to say. And I remember... Uh, getting my makeup done by this guy who was an old school makeup artist that, you know, worked on everything. And he worked on Cosby. And I remember him saying to me, this is in the early nineties. If you're ever in a room with Cosby, be careful. And I think about that all the time. Like it was an open secret. Yeah. But you know, back then there was really no, uh, recourse. There was no outlets, you know, like I know TMZ, you can just uh, email them an anonymous, hey, I just saw, uh, I don't know, Felicia Michaels go upstairs in the belly room with, uh, I don't know, whoever. Right. Oh, and they all send someone to the store, like undercover as an audience member with the little recorder. And like, I can only imagine if there were little recorders going around in the 80s. Yeah. Or 90s. (laughs) Yeah. Just at the Canoga Bowl alone, I saw things in the parking lot. Uh, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. But unfortunately, none of us were big enough to be taken down. Yeah. So uh, it's a different era for sure. And But like, I still love the era you came from. Like You won Star Search. 
Yeah, that was a fun experience. That's yeah. crazy. Ed yeah. McMahon. That was, I know, it's so ancient, isn't it? But it's like that to me time. is like, you know, Norm MacDonald, uh, you know. Yeah. Even though he lost to Bushman, which is crazy. The funniest thing that happened, I because I got to go to the finals right before I won it, and they had this model spokesperson. Do you ever remember that? The model spokesperson on I've Star had Search? one on the podcast. Oh, you have? Bobby Brown. Uh, the cherry pie chip? Yeah. Okay, so... Th- <laughs> Six degrees. I know, I know. It's so funny. So we're on Star Search, right? And the uh, the model spokesperson competition happens, and she goes on, and she's doing it, and she flubs her line, and she stops, and uh, and you can tell she's thinking, oh, they're going to reset the camera, and we're going to, you know, keep going, and then you hear Ed McMahon go, <clears throat> I would like to remind everyone that this is a live competition. <laughs> She's like, oh shit! <laughs> oh, she was great. Yeah, like, you know, I mean, she didn't really want to talk about cherry pie and star search anymore. Uh-huh. So it's kind of a like, well, yeah. What else are we gonna talk about? Uh, but she looks great still. Yeah, I'm sure she was a beautiful lady. I'm she's sure. starting stand up. She is. Wow! Hey, why not? Why not? Why Walk, not? Dip your toes in. She'll yeah. probably make it before any of us. I know. Even uh, where my kids go to school, some of the moms have started stand up. <laughs> I mean, that's the great thing about it, and, and it's almost like podcasts where anyone can start at any you time. You never know. Like you a never podcast, know. anyone yeah. can do a podcast. Look at Jessica Wellington. Yeah, she was in the Air Force. Yeah, came out as a veteran and is doing stand up. And I think if you're genuinely funny, you can make it at any age. And if you, it, it is a great equalizer. Like even when I started at the comedy store and I did get a rash of shit from the fellas, even the first year, but you, you do get to this point where people learn to respect you. You know what I mean? Just by, if you're funny, yeah, if I, you're funny, you're in, that's, that's all, that's all. it. You could be, it has nothing to do with who you are as a person, but if you're funny, you're in. No matter what you look like, if you're pretty with huge boobs, if you're Ralphie May, if Ralphie yeah. May wasn't funny, I can only imagine the shit that he would have gotten, you know, just in this bullying world we yeah. live in. But no one bullied Ralphie because he was funnier than yeah. you. Yeah. So uh, I, I do like how comedy, being funny is the equalizer. Yeah. So, uh, but you also have two comedy albums out. I do have... Uh, uh, iTunes? They can go to iTunes. My latest one is, uh, I did it like two years ago. I'm about to uh, put another one out, but the latest one has been Milf and Cookies and that's uh, on iTunes and through Uproar Records. And uh, and then, um, but one is coming out soon uh, that I've already recorded and it's about to come out. So I'm very excited about that. So can people still get Lude Awakenings and Chew On? <laughs> yes, yes. On iTunes? Yes, absolutely. So everything, oh, yeah. okay. Lude Awakenings was my first comedy CD, and I actually recorded it in at the Houston Laugh Stop way back in the day. So hilarious. And, like, how did you record it back then? Like They had some guy just had a... a whatever situation he had and it was an accidental thing where he's like oh i just recorded this for you and then i took it and then uh lucked into a meeting with a a a comedy record producer guy and then it was actually in cd form that was in tower records for a long time it was like that's how long ago that was and uh 
it was a fun experience. Still have never seen any money from it though, you know, because oh. record companies take everything, you know. But, oh yeah, I I I released a comedy album. It was horrific, uh, but you know, I just wanted to get something out there. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, I don't think I saw one. The TuneCore, which was some scam. Uh, uh-huh. You know they. They handled the money. I, I literally never saw one dollar. I will say that I did when I did Chew on This is the one I did be, right when I got back into comedy. And uh, and I put it on uh, one of those services that puts it on iTunes or whatever. Yeah, TuneCore. It wasn't TuneCore. It was another one. Oh, okay. Yeah, but uh, uh, literally about two... I never saw... You know, didn't think anything of it because I was like, no one's going to buy this, right? And then two months ago... I get an email from a guy and he's like, is this Felicia Michaels who used to be on Beauty and the Beast with Joey Diaz? And I was like, yeah. And I take back, yeah. And he goes, "Can I, I have, I'm, you know, I work for this company. I have money for you. I was like, what? And then uh, he calls me up and he's like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm actually talking to you. And here's $5,000. I was like, yes. Oh, shit. Yes, yes. There are some honest people in yeah, this business. Yeah. How has your comedy changed you know, like from when you started to tonight at the store, because like when I started, I was pretty dirty. I, mm-hmm. st- I didn't know what I was doing. Right. You know, I want to be dirty. I want to be dice. You know. Right. And uh, now I'm like a little more Stephen Wrightish. Right. Um. For sure, because I was so young when I started doing comedy at the, especially at the comedy store. What would you say the average age of a average age of a audience member is? Thirty two. Now it's definitely, uh, yeah, late 20s, early 30s, yeah. mid 30s. Yeah, like 30 ish, 32, yeah. I would say. And being 21, uh, I didn't have a lot in common with the audience. I wasn't, you know, worldly in, in a lot of ways. I didn't go to college. So, and having come from the sex industry as being a stripper, uh, what th- that was the one common denominator that I had. So it wasn't necessarily that I was like, I'm just going to break all the rules. It was like, this is the only thing I have in common is to talk about sex to people. And I kind of stumbled on it by accident. And so that kind of became my shtick where I was really, really filthy fucking dirty in an era where that wasn't really accepted. And um, so now I can be very dirty, uh, but, but now it's, I have a lot of different tools in my toolbox. Right. You know what I mean? I can do political jokes or I did a, went through a jag of mommy jokes, but now my kids are almost done. So I'm fucking done with those jokes. You know, how old are your kids? 17 and 19. Uh, b- b- daughter, son, boys. Now, you know, what, what's the conversation like when they, one of their classmates says, Hey, you know, your mom was in playboy. Well, that, you told them? Do they know or no? Oh, well, uh, I never told them. And then when they were about seven and eight, I was having, I had uh, gotten back into comedy and I was working at the Laughing Skull in Atlanta. And at the Laughing Skull, they put up, because it was one of my first headlining gigs and uh, uh, coming back in and they had made a big poster for some reason from Playboy magazine, blah, blah, blah. And when I got there, I was all cringy about it. Like on, you know, on the down low, I wasn't being a jerk or anything. And I was like, but I had a good week. And then when I left, I was like, well, that is a pretty poster. (laughs) So I took the poster and I rolled it up and then I took it home and I kind of hid it away. And then I literally like a year later, I was having a barbecue at my house with like 30 people 
and my son had been foraging in my office and he found the poster and, and he ran out and I was literally like putting wieners on a grill and there was like 30 people around me and he's like, mom, you were in Playboy magazine and the party went deathly still. And then I go, uh, I go, what? I go, I go, and I was trying to think about what to say. And he goes, weren't the most beautiful women in the world in Playboy magazine? And I said, yes. <laughs> then he high-fived me and he ran away and he ran off and jumped in the pool. And that's how, and it was, it was nothing to him because society had changed so much. Even if they were seven, eight, nine years old, the taboo of sex had changed even for younger kids. You know, what we saw on TV that you would see on cable or the jokes made on family guy, which they were watching, right. you know, probably not a good uh, parenting position for myself, but so, so it, it didn't mean as much like it meant, you know, as far as being taboo. I mean, nowadays to say you're in playboy, it's like, Oh, I can go on red porn and like, see some double anal scene. Yeah, it's nothing. Playboy yeah. Scene. Quaint. But I think people read it for the articles now. Yeah. <laughs> um now I've always thought of uh Hugh Hefner as a mitzy like figure. Like uh -huh. am I is that a like a he was like a mentor to girls? Is that uh you know, he was uh I never got to meet Hugh Hefner because when I did Playboy I did it, uh, they shot it not too far from here, like on the San Vicente and uh, uh, Sunset. And they had the big building there for oh, a long wow. time. And so it was actually shot in that building. And then I was invited to a couple of parties. But for me, that wasn't my life. You know what I mean? For me, it was like, I'm putting, uh, you know, closing up the suitcase to that life. Right. So for me, I didn't have any interest in, and I was a little, I was, I think, 29 when I did it. So for me, you know, I just wasn't interested in going to the grotto and, oh. you know what I mean? Seeing, you know, I just, it just wasn't right. an, an interesting thing to me, you know? Well, I mean, as someone who snuck into the uh, Playboy Mansion twice, it, <laughs> I might have a different view on that. But uh, right, I mean, it was just like Jesus. This place is like literally heaven on earth for a straight man. Yeah, yeah. Because there weren't that many dudes, so all these girls—it's like the opposite of society. Like all these beautiful girls come up to you, right? They think you're a celebrity of some capacity. Yeah, and uh, I told this girl I was in Kiss because I thought this is the perfect ruse. Oh, you don't recognize me in my makeup. Right. Oh, or without no. my makeup. I know. I'm uh, Ace Freely. Nice to meet you. Oh, that is hilarious. Uh, I'm not proud of it now, but you know, back then. It, Especially because Ace is probably like 30 years older yeah, than you. <laughs> this girl wasn't the brightest bulb on the planet, but uh, <laughs> what is next? I almost did an Argus and called you Alicia Cooper because I got yeah. Alicia Alicia. What is, uh, where can people look for you next in the ether? Well, I uh, have continued uh, my little filmmaking endeavors and I made a documentary called Pervs. And uh, uh, that has Joey Diaz in it, Felipe Esparza, Paul Provenza, like just Red Band is in it. Like just every, Lori Kilmartin was in it. All these comics were in it. And it actually won... Uh, 
a prize recently uh, for best uh, feature length documentary. And uh, so that look out for that. That'll be probably on Amazon in the next month. It's called Pervs. And uh, I should have been on that. You should have totally been on that. We filmed it at the last working peep show in the Los Angeles uh, County area called the Venus Fair over on Lancashire. I know where it is. Y- you know where the Venus Fair is? Look who you're talking okay, to. Okay, okay. So, um, and so that, and I also recently uh, just filmed um, my uh, uh, special and, uh, and now we're just trying to figure that out and how to go about that. Where did you film that at? I filmed it at this really weird little place and it's such an odd little place called Kulak's Woodshed on... Uh, 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 Laurel Canyon. And, uh, but it's, uh, it's, uh, half one woman show, half, uh, a half comedy special. It's a very personal story about uh, my life. And now I'm, uh, working on, uh, just trying to pitch it, do stuff with it. Cause you've lived a full life. I mean, dude, don't you want to experience every fucking thing you can? Oh, I don't think I would have the balls to be a stripper, but like, I mean, I'm proud of my body, but I, I, let me, uh, before we end, because I've always been fascinated with men who go to strip clubs. Uh-huh. Like, I never really uh, enjoyed going to them. Uh, I like a little mystery. And the ones I would go to with my agent and manager buddy types, uh-huh. they went to the full nude, like real deal. And so they, see, seeing a pussy, is that's just mysterious to you? No, it wasn't my thing. I'd okay. rather see... Like a, a bikini, you know, so I want to cover it. Like, I don't uh-huh. know, it wasn't that appealing to me. Okay. Like, it's like going into a, a, a bakery and just looking at the food and going, I'm hungry, but that's ah, good enough. Like, I, I want to touch. Yeah. So what, how, how would you deal with guys like, because there's a lot of weird types to go to strip clubs. Uh-huh. Like there's guys who think they're doing well with you. And it's like, dude, she's talking to you because she's trying to get your money. Like, how would you like, would you treat all guys the same or would you oh, this guy's nice? I'll be. Well, it's a layered question. Absolutely. It's a layered question because, um, God, I have so many stories flashing in my head. Like I have this uh, chick that I know named Jewel Shepard that I've known since I'm barely 19 years old, probably 18 years old. And uh, she actually went on and had a pretty big B-movie career. And she used to strip down at the jet strip with me. And Jewel Shepard is one of the sexiest little fucking chicks you would have ever seen. I mean, just oozed sexuality and she's beautiful and, and she was an actress. So she had lots of costumes. And, uh, uh, so someone like that in a strip joint, she made so much money. So she got a lot of people that were trying to hustle, you know, sex. And she, could have she was capable of handling men like that and she made so much fucking money uh and she looked sexy when she danced and she like 
one of her things. Remember the song, Little Red Riding Hood? <laughs> she had the red cape and a little basket where she had little chocolate kisses and she would go around and give it to all the fellas. So guys like that tended to be attracted more to those kind of chicks, you know? And I was always like the girl, because I was never, I wasn't a good dancer. You know, I would, I, I was like the strut girl. I'd strut around. I couldn't do pole work. You know, I'm not very coordinated. And so my thing is I would bullshit guys at the bar. <laughs> so I didn't make that kind of huge money uh, like Jewel did. But I also instinctively knew this is temporary. Right. Because because the number one rule that everyone who ever stripped or thinks about doing it is you can't be a stripper longer than it would take you to get a degree. Right. Because it, you'll get fucked up. You you will never leave the lifestyle and it'll fuck you up. So for me, I knew that instinctively going in. And because I had comedy, even when I wasn't doing it as much, I had a goal at a very young age and a plan of what I kind of wanted to do. It didn't affect me in that way. Right. And it was a tremendous gift to me from having bullshitted those guys at the bars. You know what I mean? At the bar. Because when I got to the comedy store, I wasn't intimidated by Paul Mooney or I wasn't intimidated by Kinison because I had already seen those, any variation of those kind of guys uh, at a strip club. You know what I mean? And, and was able to talk to them and had power over them. You know, whether it was because I was a young girl that they wanted to hit on or whether I, it was because I could say one thing and the bouncer come over and beat the fuck out of them. So I so it was only a bonus to me. You know what I mean? So it never affected me. And I didn't give a fuck how I was talked to because I didn't give a shit. You know what right. I mean? Uh, but I could see where women that had been in it for a long time were that where where it became their lives became hopeless because it's a dirty cycle and when you make money in a, in a way that society tells you is wrong you want to get rid of it just as fast and you right. make poor choices because of it and so i i never got into that trap and that's was a blessing for me and it, in in stripping actually lifted me up out of poverty uh so so I don't have like, uh, I felt more safe probably. And I know I said that earlier, I was safer as a stripper and a comedian than an Ivy league going to an Ivy league right. school because uh, in some way they are watching out for you in some ways, you know what I mean? You be, even if you're a stripper, you are one of the fellas because it's usually run by men. So that was a gift to me to be able to learn how to talk to men at such an early age. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's a, I guess ultimately my poorly worded question was it's like, it's a fine line between like flirting and like, but not giving them the idea in their head of, Oh, they can take me home. But yeah, uh, there is that, but, uh, that was never my gig. Right. My gig is, dude, I am 19 years old with rock hard titties and I'm going to sit here and make you smile. And if you give me $20, I'll show you my titties and I'll make you laugh. I really I should mean, just stop the podcast on that. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I know that'll get the numbers. 
And don't you dare message Felicia, I got $20. I know. Because <laughs> now it has to be at least 60 <laughs> Yeah. Sorry, guys. Inflation's a bitch. Where can... I really ha- almost hesitant to have you give out your social media to some of these people. Oh, no. It's all good. Come My fans are cool, me. though. So No, come follow me. It's all good. Twitter and Instagram. Yeah. Twitter, Felicia Michaels, Instagram, Felicia Michaels, Facebook, Felicia Michaels, FeliciaMichaels.net. And uh, your podcast with the great Jessica Wellington, the Liars Club. Uh, yeah, we're doing really well. We've had we're going on our sixteenth episode. It's going strong, and uh, it's been a lot of fun. And uh, check the uh, Comedy Store website for uh, Felicia's stand-up uh, schedule there, as, and uh, other. Where can they go on your website to see if you're on the road or, or you know, absolutely, uh, absolutely, all of that. And I uh, uh, post religiously to Twitter. So please uh, become fans of hers. She's awesome. And this will be out in about an hour. So if you hear this and you want to go to the comedy store tonight, you can see both me and Felicia. So come to the comedy store and uh, say hello. Don't be inappropriate. And we'll see you tomorrow with Ben Bailey from Cash Cab. Get out of town. Really? Really? 